Paul. Good to see you all here today. And you too. That's one of us, or one of you. One of you is happy to see me here. That's good. Uh, oh. That's even. Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, we'll go with that. Very good. I'm not sure what to do with this, actually. We, we got one guy that says, good to see me, and the other guy said he paid him to say that. So, so uh, let's, let's go to the Bible. Let's go right to the Bible. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll read verses 1 through 6 once again. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, as we've been studying about, really literally, the first three chapters of Ephesians sets up for us who we are in Christ, all that we have, and even as it says in verse 20 of chapter 3, that unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above, and all that we ask or think according to that power, he worketh in us. And to think of all of those things culminating, and then chapter 4 He really shows us, tells us, beseeches us, commands us of all of those things that literally we need to work in the sense of a worthy walk. Ephesians chapter 4, now let's go to verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called. With all all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And let's just pause for prayer prior to our study today. Father God, we are certainly blessed to have you here in the midst of us, guiding us through your truth, showing showing us, encouraging us, building us up, edifying us. And Father, you do it through your love that was expressed and shown through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. In that foundation of love, literally, Father, it allows us to be able to trust in you. Father, these moments before us, we would ask that the Holy Spirit would exclusively be our teacher, that we would be open and receptive, that you would take us where you want us to be. Father, we need your wisdom. We need your strength. We need your mercy, your grace, especially in times that we find ourselves today. Our world has flowing off the tracks. There's fear everywhere. There's no trust. In fact, there's many people that don't even believe that truth is real. Father, it's these times that you and Jesus shine so brightly. And now we would ask for your blessing upon these that have come today, that you would bless them and their families. You know their needs. You know their challenges. Father, you love them more than they could possibly even imagine. It's to you, that God, that awesome, awesome, sovereign creator of all that we go to now, bowing humbly at your feet, asking you to provide what we need for this day through the word. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week, uh, which I think that was actually about the third week or fourth week, 
We've been talking about how to walk worthy. So, for those of you that were here in the last... This is really sort of a... I just noticed now, I just looked up, but we have about three people in the front, three rows, and everybody else is in the back. So does that mean I come back to you and drive you this way? No, I'll just stay here, right? Tell me, how was your walk this week? Was it worthy? Did you follow Paul's advice because of who you are in Jesus Christ? Tried. Tried? Do you remember we talked, there's four, we actually still have, uh, it looks like maybe Presley or one of the grandkids added some artwork to it. <laughs> but at any rate, let's kind of recap some of this thing. A worthy walk. How easy was it for you, by the way? Ernie, you said you tried. How was it? Was it easy? No. No, it wasn't. I didn't do it perfectly <laughs> So tell me about it. What does the worthy walk look like? Where does it start? Now, some we talked about this some weeks back, but uh, you know, when some when when someone trusts Jesus Christ, they become saved. They've they've what do I want to say? Tasted salvation. They've seen that God and God alone is the only way. As Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes out of the Father except by me." That's exclusive, and God can do that because there's only one God. We're going to talk a lot about one today. There is only one God. There is only one Lord. There is only one way. And you think about that, the exclusivity of that. And it's only through him that we can really live a worthy walk, to live a life that is worthy. And it's not easy. Now, we like to, after someone has gotten saved, we say, well, now, this is, okay, we're going to give you a list. Uh, you need to go to church. You need to pray. You need to read your Bible. You need to get involved in studies. You need to get involved. And is there anything wrong with that? Well, of course not. Of course not. But if it's a to-do list, it's a to-fail list is really what it is. And that's why, Paul, if you notice, these are not external. <laughs> you can't buy these down at the store. You can't go into Walters and get a pound of meekness. If you can't tell me about it, I'd like, it's easier to buy it than it is, right? Isn't, these, things, these things start on the inside. It starts in the heart. What doesn't start in the heart literally is not real. Because that's what God changes in us through Jesus Christ is our heart. The key to it, which we spoke of numbers of times, can continue to do that, is humility. That is the key. That, that's the, that is literally the key that starts the engine. You can have an engine, you can have a transmission, you can have every mode of, of, of transportation available. It's just fantastic. But until you turn the key, it will not start, and an unstarted vehicle will not move. Sometimes our churches are like that. We kind of we pile into the car. We don't go anywhere. We just talk, and, and we, then we leave. Do you know why? Because we didn't start with the key. If there's no humility, there's no way for us to get moving. There's no way for unity to take place. Mark this. This is very, very important. You cannot have unity without humility. You can't. It's, it's the essence, literally, of us following after God is humility. That's why he, he focuses on it all of the time. And would it be any wonder? Lowliness is the term used in the King James. I'm sorry. Humility. Humility. We talked a lot about that. Meekness, there's a word that's totally... By the way, you don't see these on the bestsellers list of the, of the, of the, the top-selling books. 
how to be humble. By the way, if you figure that out, you've just lost it. Because as soon as you know you're humble, oh, then you're not. It's so tricky, isn't it? Meekness, how to be meek. When's the last time you had a conversation that you were discussing and disclosing to one? Paul, I want to show you how to be meek. And you say, not interested. Right? <laughs> kind of trapped you there, sorry. Yeah. But we did say it is birthed out of humility. Excuse me? You did say last week it is birthed out of humility. Which is, which is very key. And impo- you, you don't start down here. See, sometimes we want to start with love. Right? Just love. And then we talked about the fact that there was three different types of love. There are actually many others, but these three are the most uh, used in the, in the Greek. Eros, that is a getting love. That's analyzing. It's something that I can get. Okay? That's very much the world operates under that system. Phileo, which would be a brotherly love, a give and take. I'm going to be nice to you so that you're nice to me. I'm hoping. Right? <laughs> But, but you, you see what I'm saying? It's a, it's a give and take kind of a thing. Uh, agape, which is the love that we have of the forbearing love that's talked about here, literally is there's no getting. You are literally giving. That is exactly what Jesus Christ did. That's the focus, the key point that allows us to really focus on humility is because we can trust God. We can trust him because he proved that he loved us beyond the measure that we could possibly even think or imagine. That's what we talk about in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. How many of us deserved what we got in Ephesians chapter 3? If you've come to Jesus Christ and accepted him as your personal Savior, those first three chapters of Ephesians are so rich, so over the top, it's like you can't even soak it all in. It is truly eternal. You can't, you can't even get the grip of all of it. And it's really tied into the fact that the agape love, the agapao, that God loved us, there's, there's just no bounds. But you can't start here. because You just can't start there. And as you said, humility is the basis point. Humility actually births meekness, and that is power under control. That's like having the ability to do something to someone that's just slammed you. They've said something. They've done something. They've, they've just knocked your legs right out of front of the interview, and you have the power to return that favor. But you don't. Because you are trusting God. That is meekness. That is probably one of the most underutilized characteristics of the heart today. Because that's not how it works. Because what are we trying to protect? What's the opposite of humility? <laughs> Literally, it's protection of self. Those four things that we've looked at, humility, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing love, it literally is this. It's the annihilation of self. And that is scary, isn't it? It really is. Now you say, no, I get it. You know, the Bible is very clear that we can't get tangled up in self. But it's so easy to be there because that's literally what Adam and Eve traded. They traded God for self. They're walking through the garden with God one day. Can you imagine that? What what what, what, what were they visited about, right? They literally walked through on an afternoon. Oh, let's go do our afternoon walk with God. Oh, my God. That just almost, that almost sends shivers up my spine to think of walking in the cool of a garden with God. And then on another day, just another day, like any other day, by the end of that day, they were hiding. And behind hiding is fear. We're going to talk at the end of our lesson today, the sense of fear and how it really clouds and makes all of those things literally impossible for us to do. Fear. Our world is captured by fear today on many, many levels. I I could spend the rest of, of this hour just talking about things that people fear. 
And I'm going to say this. We'll come back. Hopefully we'll capture. But somewhere, if you think about this, I would write on the board, but it's a little bit crowded right now. But think of it. There's three words I want. On, on my left, think of the word. Which one do I want on the left? Let's go with peace. You remember verse 4 that we read, or verse 3 today? It talks about unity. How much unity is there today? Now, we're talking about the church here. This is a love letter to the church. Uh, Ephesians was Paul writing to the church. Those that were saved, those that became Christians in Christ. How much is the church unified today? Ooh, right. So you have peace on one side of you. On the other side, I want you to think of faith. Faith. Peace is very connected to trust or faith. Very connected. Uh, we'll be looking at some examples towards the end of today. And then there's a word in the middle that literally dislodges and separates faith and peace. And that is fear. It pushes them aside. And we know this much. Have you ever seen, remember that old song, uh, Trust and Obey? We don't sing it, Obey and Trust, right? We obey what we trust. If we trust self more than God, we obey Self. Isn't it amazing? That trust and peace is so clearly connected. Because for you, remember, we are to humble ourselves, it says in James. Humble yourselves. Now, God can do it for you, and he will. It's called trials. We count it all joy when we fall into various trials. That's because we didn't choose to be humble. He says, come here. I've got a little lesson for you. And it's amazing, he can bring us there, but why don't we choose to humble ourselves? Pride. Pride. Pride's on the other side of it. And what are we literally saying at that point? We don't trust God. That's what we're saying. Let's read, let's let's stay with the vein we're on. Humility, meekness, long-suffering. There's a fun one, right? Did you guys sign up for the extended course on that? (laughs) I want more long-suffering. I want to suffer more, longer, for a very long time. You know what? You'll never be able to handle long-suffering until you have humility that births meekness, that births long-suffering. Because all of a sudden, when you can trust God enough with meekness, in other words, you are literally laying, laying that out there. You know, think of Jesus Christ. There is the meekest man, and I'm saying he was God, he was man. Don't, don't dis. I'm not denying his deity in any way, shape, or form. The most humble, the most meek man that's ever walked this earth. He's standing before Pilate, and Pilate acts like he can do anything he wants to him. Jesus could have went, and it's over. But he didn't. Why? Why didn't he do it? Because God's plan was in action. And for him to have thwarted that would have changed Our relationship sitting here in the year 2021, if Jesus had done what was the easiest, we wouldn't be here today. He followed the plan. Do you know that's another thing that fear does? It changes the plan. Fear runs out ahead. Look at our world today. Do you see a plan? I see a lot of fear. I see a lot of fear. And then, honestly... Forbearing love, that agape love, that characteristic, that's heart word that literally changes the world. Let's go to verse 3. 
which is literally all the further that we... I think it's like, what, three weeks, four weeks? We've got two verses. We're going to get through verse 6 today. Is that... Oh, that's your shocked sound? Yeah, let's go to verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity... In fact, let's read verses 1 and 2 once more. I, therefore, because of chapters, the first three chapters, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech, I command you, I'm, I'm yearning that you would walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, semicolon, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring. I think we spoke of this last week briefly, but tell me what endeavoring is. If you're endeavoring, and in this case, endeavoring to keep the unity. Now, by the way, have you seen... Uh, in each types of movements or committees or in, uh, maybe I've even used that word endeavor, to create unity within the church, create unity amongst, right? Do you see where I'm going? Guess what? You don't have to do that. That's work you can't do. You cannot create unity. What do you mean? No, you can't do it. Humans can't do that. We are to keep it. That's the word used. Did you see it? Keep the unity that the Spirit has created. The Spirit created it. Now, we can either keep it or we can destroy it. Now, I would say the human race has done an awesome job of destroying it. Do you know why? Revert back to step one, two, three, and four. <laughs> right? Endeavoring. Let's talk about that word. That's a strong word. In the Greek, it would mean to work at, to hurry, to get after it. In other words, get on with it. No stopping. Get out of the way and let's go get it done. Making every effort. Every effort. Every effort. In fact, uh, I didn't write the gentleman's name down, but he said, a holy zeal demanding full dedication. That's pretty rich, isn't it? Full of zeal with full dedication. In your last week's note, you said, never give in to negative circumstances. That's right. That's right. And that's in the sense of long-suffering. If you take that component out, never give in to negative circumstances, never give in to negative people, and always follow God's plan. Those are the three things that literally tie in with a sense of long-suffering. If you, now, by, is that easy or what? <laughs> Circumstances will wear you out. People sometimes can really wear you out. And then we run ahead of God's plan. Right? It kind of works that way. We talked about Abram. We talked about a lot of, of those that literally just wanted to run ahead. Circumstances wear you down, don't they? That's the key to long-suffering. But if you... Don't start again with humility. I'm going to say this and say this and say this. Humility is the key to making it all work. There's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. None. Endeavoring. Let's look at a couple of examples that Paul used it in 2 Timothy. Let's go there for a moment. And let's watch uh, how that comes out. 2 Timothy chapter, uh, I think it's 2. I hope I'm right. I'm not sure. Be there in a second. I'll see if we will take a look. Second Timothy, chapter two. That is incorrect. Um, oh, there we go. Second Timothy, chapter four. Second Timothy, chapter four. He's in, he's closing out his last letter to the, this young man Timothy. He was mentoring right up to the very end. Chapter four, verse nine. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. In other words, hurry up, man. I want you. I need you here. Verse 15. Of whom be thou where also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. And that is the wrong verse. Excellent. Um, 
there's another one. Oh, there it is. Verse 21. There it is. Verse 21, same chapter. Chapter 4. Do thy diligence to come before winter. That's the same sense of endeavor. Don't wait around. No procrastination allowed. Let's go get it done right now. Sounds almost like a coach, right? Let's get after it. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4 and let's take a look now. Getting after it, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The bond of peace. Do you know what the word bond means? The bond of peace. In other words, we're now these four, these four things, uh, humility, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing love, we are endeavoring, we are focusing on that because the goal, the goal, now th- this is really important now. The goal he's given us is not humility. That's not the goal. Meekness is not the goal. Long-suffering is not the goal. Forbearing love is not the goal. The goal is unity. Unity. And we're going to be getting into a moment how that happens. We have the call to the worthy walk. We have the characteristics of the worthy walk. And then we have the cause of it. We haven't even got to the cause of it. Did you know that yet? Wow. Endeavoring. Getting after it. Getting on with it. Making it happen. Bond of peace. The bond is belt. I've got a belt on today. Many of the men here have a belt. I always have a belt on. Why? It's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a really good thing. It kind of keeps everything together, doesn't it? In fact, you, you, those of you who remember our, our uh, study through the uh, putting on the whole armor of God. It was the belt of truth. Tell me what's messed up in our world today. We're running around without a belt. And you know what? When we're running, that, you, you get the picture, right? That visual comes up without a belt, and you have a long flowing, right? And that's what's happened to our world. There's nothing, it's just all over the place. Can't even find it. It's the same thing now. Right now, what he's saying is endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. The spirit is responsible for unity. You're not responsible for unity. That's an inside individual in your heart doing those four things. And it just takes care of itself. Because if you're doing those four, guess what the person next to you is? It spreads through the entire church. And that bond of peace is what keeps it together. You show me unity, I'll show you peace. Right? What are we absent in this world today? Peace. Unity. They come together so, they're, they're tied at the hip. And literally, he's saying that bond of peace, that belt of peace is what keeps it all together. Keeps it all together. So essentially, that bond of peace literally is based on true love. Let's go backwards which is based on true long-suffering, which is based on true meekness, which is based on true humility. You see, it all stacks together. And guess what's not in here? Do you, look at the board, and you tell me what's not there. Oh, that's a, that, there's a lot of things that aren't there. But the one that just seems so apparent to me that it's so, it's so not there. Self. Self. And it wants to be there. Have you noticed how self likes to get into everything? I had a, I was uh, actually, I don't know what it was, just visiting. Sometimes you, you just, just visiting and conversation. Uh, I was visiting with a, with a, a middle-aged woman and grew up very difficult, t- difficult background, very tough. And through the course of her life, her life's journey, 
she learned really not to trust anyone. That's, by the way, that's what's wrong when you start to look at her families, right? God created the family. You got a husband, you have a wife, you have kids. Who's the one of that family that they, and I'm not saying, who's the head of the family? The father. And those kids need to trust. They need to see this fatherly figure because you know what happens? It allows them to see God easier and clearer, right? What's happened to her families? Exactly. And this middle-aged woman has never had a father figure that she could trust. So guess who she's not trusting today? God. You see, it's broken, right? And yet she said this, which I'm not, again, sometimes it's better to listen because you pray, God, what's the next move? Next time we talk, what what do you mean? You you follow what I'm saying? Always praying, always praying. She said, when someone tells me that God has done a lot for you and he's taken you where you are, I say, no, I've done it all myself. I haven't been able to trust anyone. See, that's a heart that's been hurt. That's a heart that's yearning for love that God literally showed what he did with Jesus Christ. That's the only way to crack through that, correct? You're not going to argue? No, no. That's a taste. That's a taste. She's been hurt by religion. She told me a story that was just over the top. Over the top. And she's not alone. She said, Larry, that's how it is. I said, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. And I said, that's why I hate religion. And, you know, what do you mean you hate religion? I said, religion doesn't do anyone any good. It's about a relationship. And she got very quiet. And you like it when they get really quiet because they're thinking. And isn't it true? All of these things, if it's about ritual, if it's about religion, these are a, just a vacant, empty shell knocking on a door. And the only way that those would be there is if you told someone that they were there. A relationship creates the atmosphere, creates the internal setting for these to literally take place because God is changing you from the inside out. And that's how he works. Isn't that cool? It's really, really special to just see how that, how that all plays and flows out when we yield, when we trust God. See, now this... This middle-aged woman I was talking to, these, these things are very, these are so far out. They're so far out there, it, it actually hurts her to think about that. But she hasn't tasted. She's only felt pain. Right? Everything that is the opposite of what God wants, that's what's happened to our world. That's what's happened in the church. And that's why Paul in verse 1 and 2 of this new section says, let's get it right. Let's walk worthy. Let's make our walk and our talk coincide. And the world will be amazed to see supernaturally that God is in charge. And that's what Jesus said. They will know you are Christians by your love. Guess where love is? See, he didn't start with love. You don't start with love. You start with humility to get to love. And then unity just flows with the bond of peace. Well, let's keep rolling. We've seen the call to a worthy walk. We've seen the characteristics of that walk. Now let's look at the cause. Let's go to, uh, in fact, uh, some of you were here last week, and we were going to go from verses 4 through 6, and I had asked you to find out how many ones were in there. So let's read those together, and then you're going to tell me how many ones there are. 
There is one body and one spirit, even as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. There's a lot of ones going on, isn't there? How many ones are there? There's seven ones. What do we know about seven? It's perfect. It's complete. And that's what this is all about. And the fact that unity, literally, and Christianity, and these attributes, these characteristics are all basically caused from the fact that we have one God. Aren't you glad that there's not more than one God? Excuse me? Yeah, I can't think of it. I just can't imagine how... Would that be horrifying? And see, that's what we did. Now, that, listen now. That's what the world has done now when they have their own form of truth. If you have more than one truth, and that... that I should say that. I do not believe there's more than one form of truth. There is one truth. And if there's more than one truth, then you have more than one God. And then it gets messed up. And that's why our world today doesn't know where they're going. They don't have a clue. And then you know what happens when you don't have a God, one God? Fear enters in because you don't know what's true. If you don't know what's true, you're fearful. Isn't that true? It's absolutely true. So actually there's three verses, four, five, and six. And each one of those verses, it seems, is associated with one of the Trinity. The first is verse four. There is one body. One body. Let's turn back just one page to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 15. And Paul has said in that chapter, chapter 3, verse 15, of whom, Jesus Christ, of whom the whole whole family in heaven and earth is named. How many families of God is there? How many bodies is there? There's one. Now, each one of you here today, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, you're a member. You're a component Maybe some of you are eyes, arms, legs, whatever it might be. But again, you're all part of one body. Again, where does self, do you see how self divides and conquers that? We are like our own little selves running around, right? That's not the way it works. There's one body, one body, thankfully. And everyone that's believed in Christ is in that one body. Which body? Well, the body that literally Christ is the head of. And we've been placed into that by the Spirit. In fact, the next one is one Spirit. One Spirit. How many Holy Spirits are there? One. One. Again, aren't you glad? Let's let's just say for a moment, let's say there was ten Holy Spirits. Ooh, well, which one should I follow? You don't have to worry about it. That's what's so cool here is there's only one. And when you've trusted Christ, let's go to a couple of verses. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church, and he says, For as the body is one, we just said that, one body, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. He makes that extremely clear. So also is Christ. For by one spirit, this is what we're talking about, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. That one spirit, the Holy Spirit literally, is what places us or baptizes us, identifies us, puts us all into one body. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. Are you still there? I probably moved. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, turn back there. 
Well, when you put it in this light and you think about personally, this puts a different play on it, doesn't it? First Corinthians chapter six, verse 19. What? I mean, that gets your attention, right? Here he is. What? Have you not, I'm sorry, know you not that your body, your body, now not the, the one body, but your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now that's wild, isn't it? Literally, you are templing the Holy Ghost. And not, by the way, each and everyone in this room, everyone that hears my voice, and beyond the entire world, the entire universe of anyone that has trusted Christ as Savior, it is the same Holy Spirit. It is the same, we're going we're to get into the one Lord in a moment, but there is one Spirit that places us into one body. But then look at something else. You're back in, oh, you're in Corinthians. Turn to Ephesians for a moment. Individually, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a little bit overwhelming, isn't it? How many of you thought, wake up tomorrow morning or this morning, and you say, whoa, today I need to remember that I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. Whoa. We should do that. That's exactly what we should be doing because it sets us up, doesn't it? It sets us up. No guilt trip intended. When's the last time you did that? Uh Uh-huh. Me too. I didn't do it often. I don't do it often enough. In fact, sometimes I need to do it a lot. I need to remind myself, whoa, my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and let's take a look here. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at verse 18. Again, we're speaking of Jesus Christ. You'll find so much about in him, through him. In verse 18, I know we're just diving in here for a moment, but chapter 2, verse 18. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Again, notice one, one spirit. Then down to verse 22. In whom you also are builded together, builded together, individuals builded together for a habitation of God through the spirit. So individually, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, and collectively, we're the habitation of the Spirit. See, that? think of the strength of unity now. You have one Spirit, one body, many members, but literally, the Spirit lives individually in the individual, the temple of the Holy Ghost. Collectively, we become a habitation or a collective unity of the Spirit working together. Do you see the strength? I'm hoping I can... Exhibit that a little bit because that's where the strength is at. That's how you keep the unit. We didn't create it, but when you, when you individually do these things to protect the unity that, that, that the Holy Spirit created, then literally individual become collectively a unified church. Right? right. Thank you. <laughs> the more we see that, the more we taste that, the better it is. So we have one body. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4. One body. The Holy Spirit has baptized us into. We went to 1 Corinthians to find that. We have one spirit. And the spirit individually, literally, takes up residence, calling our body the temple, and then collectively a habitation 
one spirit. Now watch, and even as you are called, the number three, the third one, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. Now what the world is he talking about? One hope of your calling. How many heavens are there? How many different places of eternity is there? There's one. What's that? Yeah, one hope. <laughs> one hope. One hope. Actually, I just crossed my mind. I would, I would really uh, ask for your prayers. Um, on Tuesday, there was a, I don't know if you, it was in a prayer request or not, but Leona Bayan passed away this last week. And unbeknownst to me, but uh, Bill had called me and said one of her last requests, Larry, was that you did her service. I didn't know that. I don't know why, but God has allowed an opportunity for the Bible to be shared, for the gospel to be mentioned, and hopefully someone will hear the gospel. So please pray. That's it uh, on Tuesday, 11 o'clock here at KNL. One hope of calling. One hope. One hope. There's one heaven. There's one place that we're going to. We're all going there. Now, uh, interestingly enough, it's amazing how we, even in the church, have a way of making differences, right? We have, and, and you guys could add on, but I don't know how many denominations there are, but there's a lot. Episcopalians and Lutherans and Methodists and Nazarenes, and I could go on and on and on, and none of that really brings you to heaven, right? Please say no. How you get there is there's one hope in one Jesus, and there's one way, right? We're going to one heaven, and there's not going to be, seg- there's not going to be segregated places. Let's see, the Episcopalians are over there. Let's see, uh, where, are we, where are we going to put those Baptists? We've got several Baptists to deal with. We maybe have to have a, a balcony and a super balcony and then a lower level for those that weren't quite as. No, it doesn't work like that, does it? There's one destiny. There is one hope of calling. We are called to the same place, a place that I can't wait to get to. I cannot wait, but I'm supposed to, <laughs> right? Going about the business, going about the work. There's one now, you say, well, wait a minute. Did I tell you that verse 4 is about the Holy Spirit? That's the Holy Spirit's verse. You have one body. He places us into it. We have one Holy Spirit, which is, denotes itself. And then what is this one hope of calling? What, well, how does that fit the Holy Spirit? What, what's significant about that? Let's go back. Imagine this in Ephesians. Let's go back to chapter 1. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. There's so many ways for us to view and to overpower or be overpowered by what the Holy Spirit is doing for us, through us, and to us. Ephesians chapter 1, let's look at verses 13 and 14. In whom you also trusted, again, speaking of Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth. After you heard, you see, that's another thing. Do you see the significance of truth? I can't, I can't help it. I have to talk about truth. I have to talk about its absence. Amen. You could not trust Jesus Christ until you heard the truth. Amen. That's what's wrong with our world today. There's no truth, so you can't accept the truth until you know the truth. That was too loud, too over the time. I don't know what to do about it, but that's, it, just, it just seems so obvious to me today, right? Ah, what are we going to do about it? Keep speaking the truth in love. Ephesians 4, verse 15, right? Speaking the truth in love. If there was a verse that I'd like to capture, it's that one. But Hearing by the word of God. Absolutely. Truth, 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 truth. Okay, sorry, now let's go back one more time. I'll, I'll direct. In whom you also trusted, after 
you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. There we see the Holy Spirit again, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. This one hope, this one eternal destiny, we're all going to the same place. God is so good. Isn't his word good enough? You know, he told Abram, he said, tell you what, listen up, buddy. I want you to go to 900 miles. Oh, I don't really know where you're going to go. I know where you're going to go, but you don't know where you're going to go. No maps allowed. Can't get in your car quest. You can't get on your GPS. You will go when and where I tell you to go. And when you do that, I'm going to bless you immensely. You're going to have descendants like the sand of the sea or like the stars of the sky. Whoa, right? That's faith. That's acting in faith. And he said, basically, and then there was another time, remember how he, there was, there was an offering and God, there's no one to swear by greater than himself. He basically swore by himself, which there's no greater. That even makes my God bigger. But you know what he did for us? He not only told us we had one hope of a calling, we're going to go to heaven. It's our one destiny together because of what Christ did. He said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to guarantee it. I'm going to guarantee it. And a God, and a God guarantee is a good one. It's not the out-the-door kind of a thing. It's not the 100% guaranteed until it fails. That's not, not, not the ones we get today. This is an absolute... And you know what? How would God have guaranteed something any better than literally through the Holy Spirit? <laughs> he says, I'm going to guarantee that heaven is yours because the Holy Spirit, which is living within you, is the guarantee. He is the earnest. I've, I've said that many times. How many of you have bought a house or a piece of property? And to be serious about it, for, the, for you, you being the buyer and the seller is selling it to you, there's something that has to change place in the sense of seriousness. Oftentimes there's a broker in between that is drawing up the documents. But there's something that takes place when you're really serious. Now, I'm not talking, you go and look and you kick tires and you say, that's really nice, I really like it, I think I'll, I think I'll buy it. How, so, how solid is that? Is that a guarantee? They could even say, I'm going to buy it. What makes it sure? What makes it guarantee? Put up some money. That's called an earnest deposit. Now, again, it's not paid in full, but literally what happens then is it's seen as being under contract. Do you know you're under contract to go to heaven? <laughs> I love it. Amen. And it's a contract that can't be broken because God guaranteed it himself with the Holy Spirit. He, bought, he, he owns us. He's our down payment. He, is, he is our down payment. We're sealed. Sealed. Fixed. Don't you love it? Amen. Fantastic. Fantastic stuff. I'm a little bit excited today, I guess, right? Amen. Now, the, that word earnest, literally in the Greek, would mean, ladies, when your husband, if you're married, <laughs> if you're not, could happen, you don't know. You are married to Jesus Christ if you've trusted him as Savior. That's the one that really counts. Because you have a calling. You have a one hope. But that... Man, when he asked you to marry him, he said, just trust me. He did something, didn't he? When I perform a wedding, there's something, there's a token, there's a, there's a term, if you will. That word earnest literally means engagement ring. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is your engagement ring. Whoa. Guaranteeing you're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Chapter, or verse 4, one body, 
baptized by the Holy Spirit. There's one Spirit. There is only one Spirit, and He indwells each and every one that has trusted Christ as Savior according to... In fact, there's another verse. You write this down in your notes. We'll not go there. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Put that one in your notes as well. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. And then, honestly, one calling, one... I'm sorry, one hope of which you're called to one place, and it's guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Well, let's go to verse 5, because this is the Son's verse. We have the Holy Spirit's verse, verse 4. The Son's verse is verse 5. It says, one Lord. One Lord. One Lord. Uh, hold your place. Let's go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Acts four twelve. Paul, could you turn that uh, air conditioner on? I don't know. I, I seem warm. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. One Lord. Neither, verse 12, chapter 4, neither is there salvation in any other. It's exclusive. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must or can be saved. That's the Son. That's Jesus Christ. It's the only name of which you can be saved under. Romans chapter 10, verse 12. Romans 10, 12. Romans 10, 12. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is one Lord. That Lord is Jesus Christ. One more verse. uh, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19. If you want to talk about the superiority, the magnificence of Christ... The supremacy, Colossians, is a fantastic book. Verse 19 of chapter 1, it says, It pleased, Colossians 1, 19, It pleased the Father that in Him, in Christ, should all fullness dwell. He is, in fact, one Lord. One Lord. Back to Ephesians, and let's look at not only one Lord, but we have one faith. What do you mean, one faith? One faith. One faith. We've been talking a lot about ones. You know, there's only one way. If you take the Bible, it's 66 books written by 40 different authors. Well, really, the Holy Spirit wrote it, but 40 different men that penned the words. The message is complete. Its content shows us exactly what salvation is all about. It shows us where we started, where we failed, and what God did about it, and where we end up. Isn't it? It's, it's, a fant- it's his story, really. The content of that is there, it is one faith. There's not different faiths. There's not different ways. It's one faith. Just one. One. One faith. And it's amazing how Satan is so aggressive in trying to break down and to destroy that message. That faith. Trying to thwart it. Try to change it. Try to divide. Try to conquer. Try to get rid of it. Try to not have it. In every possible way. But there is one faith. I'm glad. I'm glad there's one way. It takes a lot of the guesswork out. One way. One faith. Look at Jude. See if you can find that little letter of Jude. Jude, verse 3. If you're in chapter 3, you're in the wrong book. Jude, verse 3. We'll start in verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in... Jesus Christ, did you preserve in Jesus Christ and called? Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, 
when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for a faith, the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. Isn't that amazing? In other words, the content of the scriptures was literally delivered to us. One faith. One faith. Why is there so much difference? I mean, everybody's got a different take on it, a different twist, a different whatever. Oftentimes, it's just the fact that we don't go to the Bible. It really doesn't matter what I say. No, it doesn't matter what anybody says. What does the Bible say? Sometimes our traditions will run out ahead of us. There are uh, various, I'm going to say, religions, cults, whatever you want to say, that literally have unchecked traditions. I, I Bear with me, I'm going to tell it one more time, because every time I think about traditions, because it's just about this simple sometimes, how traditions hold us and mold us, and we sometimes don't even know why. Now, there's nothing wrong with godly biblical traditions. Don't ever say that, but let's make sure that they're there. Let's, let's check them. Let's check them at the door. So, you've got a newlywed couple, and they're home, and, and for the, you know, have you noticed, wives, that the husbands leave the kitchen the longer you're married? They don't help as much. Oh, that doesn't help. I'm sorry, Lisa would have to say that I was not as aggressive in the kitchen washing dishes and helping as maybe when we first started. I don't know. But this young husband was in the kitchen helping his newlywed wife, and they were preparing a meal. And he watched her prepare the ham. And she pulls out her roaster. And the first thing she does is she lops off both ends of the ham and throws them away. Now, him, being a frugal sort of an individual, was wondering, Honey, why, 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 why did we do that? Is there something wrong with the ends of the ham? No, I, well, I, I don't know. My mother always did it that way. Well, let's give your mother a call. You know, this, this young man, let's get this, let's get this set up right now, right? So, so Mom, um, we were just kind of... Well, we were cooking, and, and uh, you, know, we, you know how you do the ham? You know how you cut the ends off and you throw <laughs> those away? Yeah. So why do you do that? Well, to be honest, I don't know. My mother taught me. Well, let's call Grandma. <laughs> so Mom calls Grandma. Grandma, why, why do you cut the ends off the ham? Oh, honey, it's because my roaster's too small. (laughs) Now, that's where a tradition went way ahead of what's reality. And unfortunately, in the church, it's much the same way. If there's things in tradition, check them. Check them. Do they fit the Bible? Are they right? Are they truthful? Because if they're not, let's change them. In fact, I'll give you a good example. Remember Peter? Here comes his sheet coming down from heaven, right? And he's a pretty good Jew. And there's a lot of things Jews don't eat. A lot of them. It's called kosher and unkosher, right? And there's this stuff they eat that I don't want to eat either, but at the same time, here comes a sheet. And then the message was, go ahead and partake. And Peter's, oh, oh, no, 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 you, no, 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 heavens, no. I'm, you know, he goes on, that's clean and unclean. And then, and then said, well, what I've said to eat, go ahead and eat. And the long story short was, what was God doing? He was preparing Peter for getting ready to minister to the Gentiles. And you know what happened to Peter's tradition? It got launched out the door because he was willing to take God's word and make it the real thing. 
We need to do the same. Make sure your differences are literally biblical. So what, let's, let's review. So we have, let's check our ones. We have one, one body, one spirit, one hope. Those are the Holy Spirit involvement. Then we have one Lord. We have one, one faith. And what's next? One baptism. Well, after you've trusted the one Lord, that's Jesus Christ, and through the faith that is within the content of the Word of God, what's the next step for us is literally a baptism, to be identified. There is only one name which we're baptized, and there's only one Savior, and there is one baptism. And we're placed, identified in Jesus Christ because He is the one Lord with the one faith. And that's the identification that we have. Now, baptism does not save you. I mean, let's mark that clearly. There's, there's not regeneration in baptism. I, baptism is a public confession of what you've done internally. You're associated, you're identified with, in this case, Jesus Christ. Which is actually spoken of. It is commanded. It is part of what you're to do. Now, that is, that is something that, that doesn't start with that. You don't start with baptism to find Jesus. No, 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 no. It's... Hearing the truth, responding to the truth, declaring Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior and Lord. There's no one else can save you. And then that one baptism literally is encompassed within identifying with Jesus Christ. Verse 5 is the Son's verse. Let's look at one more verse. Verse 6. There's one left. One God and Father of all. One Father, one God. All from the beginning, as, as God would have selected the Israelites to be his people, he was very, very clear, there shall be no other gods before me. I and I alone am God, and God alone. Deuteronomy chapter 6, you might jot that in your notes, it's very, he's above all, he's through all, he's in you all. He's the sovereign creator. He's the upholder of the universe. He's the personal indwelling presence. Think of it. God created. God loved. God fathered. God controlled. God sustained. God filled. God blessed. God saved. It's all about one God. One God. There again, I, I, the significance of this is so over the top for me. Because any time that you have a dichotomy or you have something to, in addition to... You've lost the significance. You've lost the power. You've lost all of that. And for these two verses, Paul is very distinctly saying the cause for these to happen is the fact that we have one God. We have one Lord. We have one faith. We have one hope. We have one body. We have one spirit. We have one Father and God. Did I miss one? Excuse me? One baptism. See, to me, that just brings it all together. And that literally, then, is the power that allows us to start in the heart and make it work. So the question is, what's keeping us from doing more of this? If I was going to ask you, did you guys max out on humility, meekness, long-suffering, and overbearing love this week? Did you just, like, fill your tank? There's no more room for any of that. You're so full, you can't hold anymore. And you would say, get a clue. <laughs> okay? So what's holding us back? What is holding us back? Let's come back to those 
words that I asked in your mind to put on your on your, the, the blackboard of your or whiteboard of your mind. Remember, on my left hand, I asked you to put a word. What was that? Peace. Peace. I want you to think on the right hand side. Now, what did I tell you to put there? Faith. Faith. Okay. And in the middle, the thing that displaces or keeps those two apart. Now, when you have faith and you have peace, without fear in the middle, they are wed. They are married. The bond of peace becomes yours. That belt of peace is yours to enjoy the unity that the Holy Spirit created that... When you literally are living those characteristics, when you're walking worthy, when you're walking your talk are equal, when they're coming together, because there is one God, because there is only one Lord, all of the ones, that literally at that point, peace is yours. It's yours. Now, I want to go to a verse, and I want you to see how tightly connected all of this is. Now, let's go to uh, John, the book of John, and we're going to go to chapter 14. And Jesus is actually instructing, this is the last moments, I'm saying moments, I should say hours, that would be better, more appropriate. But John chapter 14, and he's talking about his departure. He's, he's visiting with them, and in fact, I would like to just start there in chapter 13, because he's, in, in fact, start, we'll just kind of walk our way through. I want you to get where he's at. I want you to slip into Jesus' sandals from the sense of the, the complexity of where this situation is. Uh, John chapter 13 and verse 21. When Jesus had thus said, this is John 13, 21. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Now, what must that have been feeling like? Now, actually, from chapters 13 through 17, literally, they are gathered in the upper room. They are there, and Jesus is getting a one-on-one kind of a meeting with these people. And this is when he displays to them, he says, he's troubled in his spirit. If you don't think Jesus suffered emotion and challenges, you didn't read the Bible. Jesus had emotion. In fact, he perspired to the point of tiny droplets of blood. His capillaries were literally bursting. Can you think of the anguish of which, that's my Jesus that died for me. And now for chapters 13 through 17, he's talking about real stuff with the disciples because he knows he's about to depart. Let's keep going. Let's read a little bit of verse 31, John chapter 13, John 13, 31. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. Who had left? Judas Iscariot. He had departed. If God be glorified in him, verse 32, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, where, you go, where I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you. Now what he's declaring to them, Simon Peter, remember what he said? Oh, I'm going to go with you. I'll go to the end. You can trust me. I'm, I'm yours. Right? And Jesus then said, Peter, unfortunately, three times tonight you're going to, do, you're going to deny me. Broke his heart, and it happened, didn't it? I can't imagine that look, just for a moment, just a little parenthesis. The last time it says in one of the Gospels that Jesus turned and looked at Peter, I can't imagine the piercingness of those who would be his Savior's eyes looking at him. What would have that? And and it said Peter went out and wept bitterly. But you know what Jesus said? He said, I prayed for you. 
Do you know he's prayed, he prayed for you? John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. He literally prayed for us in advance for those because they'll be in the world. That's you. Are you starting to see where Jesus is at on this night? This place? Now let's turn to chapter 14, verse 27. Same setting. Oh, uh, I can't miss. I, I can't. I just have to. John chapter 14. Let's look at verses 1 through 6. He's just told Peter that he's going to deny him three times. And then he says this in verse 1 of chapter... Don't, but don't let your heart be troubled. Don't, don't be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Though where I am, you may be also. Isn't that fantastic? He, now, so far the disciples are not getting any of this. What do you mean Jesus is leaving? You mean he's going to go... He's going to go somewhere else, and we're, when are we going to do this king thing? I mean, when are we going to finally take over and beat the Romans and be done with this, and we're finally, the kingdom has come. When are we going to do that? What's he talking about leaving? See, they missed it for a while. And then he says something, because Thomas asked a question. He said, Lord, where, where are you going? And, and how do we know the way? And then this is what Jesus said. This verse has been used who knows how many times. Jesus said unto him, I am the way. The truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's the one Lord. Now take chapter 14. Let's cruise all the way down to verse 27. Same night. There's a lot of other things we could talk about. This is like a dissertation that he's giving to those disciples to prepare them for something that they don't have any clue of what's coming. Now watch verse 27. This is what we want to get to. This is it. This is the crux. 1427. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Now, there's some really cool stuff there. We're going to maybe even uh, next week, we're going to come back and revisit this. I, I, want, I want to talk more about fear and peace for a world that's going crazy. I really do. I, th- I think we as a church need to have this instilled to where literally we look different because we are different. Not, don't say we're just looking different. It's because we are different. Who are you? He said, my peace I give to you. My peace. You see, any other peace other than Jesus Christ's peace won't cut it. You see, the peace, that bond of peace, that belt of peace that we talk about in Ephesians, that's this peace, my peace, that he's talking about. If you don't have God's peace, these four attributes, these four characteristics, humility, meekness, long-suffering, and forbearing love, Never experience it. You'll never experience it because that peace can only come supernaturally from God. That's the only place it can come. And if it's any other thing that you're searching, it'll be just like the rest of the world. There is no peace. There's no peace. Because why? Because there's fear. Now, let's see how he finishes this verse. Let's go right back to it. Let's read it again. Don't read ahead. Let's read it one more time. Verse 27, chapter 14. Peace I leave with you. I'm leaving, but I'm going to leave my peace. Isn't that fantastic? That's fantastic. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Now watch now. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Do you not think that peace and fear are connected, trying to divide you from faith? Because trust is what makes peace happen. When you trust God enough to provide, to allow him to humble you, to provide you with meekness, long-suffering, and love, 
That is trust that provided peace. If you choose not to do that, it's fear that drove you away. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, what was it that literally made them choose self? Because they were fearful they couldn't be God. And that is exactly what I meant to say. She traded God for self. Satan threw that out. Oh, you can be like God. And you won't die. And you won't die. Everything that God said isn't going to happen. But you will be God yourself. Now you say, wait, what, is that? Yes. There is so much that is done because of the fear of not having something. That was a fear of not having the expression of being your own God. And today we are ruled by that whole expression. Fear. Trust is deeply involved with peace. Deeply involved. It has to do with obedience as well. You will only obey what you trust. That's why that, that middle-aged woman, I'm going to go back to her for a moment. Now, do you, know who she, do you know who she trusts today so far? Now, please pray for her. I'll leave her nameless. You, most of you wouldn't know her anyway. But the point of the matter is, who do you think she's trusting today? Herself. Because so far, that's the only person that she's felt she could trust. And I'm praying, and we're going to pray, that she would see the Savior who literally showed his love by sending his very son living... Did you, did you, see, did you see the amazing, overpowering, forbearing love in even this chapters 13 through 17 of John? He's in a position, I tell you what, he'd like to probably cut and run. In fact, he said, my God, my God, can you take this cup from me? But not my will, but yours. See, that fear that drives us to do things that are not right thwarts God's plan. Now, I'll give you one other example. Just let, Briefly, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 1. One more, one more, and then next week I think we'll pick up our, 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 some of the same theme. I'm not sure we'll be. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Let's look at verses 19 through 21. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Now, what's going on is we're, we'll fill this. You know, Moses has led the people out of Egypt. It's been some miracle after miracle after miracle. And, and, and now, let's think of this for a moment. <clears throat> When's the last time that in your life, in your life's journey, that... Um, you got in a really a rock and a hard place. You're actually between the river and the enemy is coming and they have weapons and you don't. And it looks pretty, it looks, it looks bad. It looks really, really bad. And so the first thing you need to go find your leader, who happens to be Moses. And you say, Moses, what, what are you thinking, man? I mean, you know, we're, we're dead meat now. We should have just stayed in Egypt and just been a slave. I mean, that's what we should have done. That's, it's obvious because they're going to kill us now. This is, this is so stupid. Right? Have you ever been, your back is so close to the river, so close to that body of water you're going to drown in, you say, it's over. Where's God? Most of the time it's like that. Do you know God is never late, but it seems like it? He seemed late right now. You, they see it, you can see the dust. Here they come. Oh. And what happens? Foof! We got walls of water. The Red Sea is parted. Now, if that doesn't take and blow your eyeballs in the back of your head, I don't know what would do it. And then Moses says, why don't you just guys go across the dry land right now? Just, yeah, just go, go ahead. It's, it's, right? Would you be the first one to go? <laughs> I don't think I would. And they did. They went across. And I'm sure some of them thought, well, what good is this going to do? The Egyptians are just going to follow us right through and we're dead on the other side. Right? That's how we work. That's how our faith meter goes. It's really low a lot of times. 
And you know what happened. Israelites get through, the Egyptians dive in, down comes the water, and they all drown. That one spread through the entire world, the known world at that time. They said, did you hear about the Israelites, God? Oh, my goodness. They can part waters. Now, that one should have lasted for a while, right? Should have lasted a long time. But when's the last time that really God really, really <coughs> provided you with exactly what you needed? And you didn't know it at the time. It's sometimes you have to, that's, what, that's what memories are for. That's for us to go back and look in your journey. That's for you. I've got a lot of things where my trust went up because I can turn around and say, oh, that was good. That grew my faith. That grew my faith. That was a faith grower. That was a faith grower. So now let's watch. Here's the next step. Deuteronomy chapter 1. When we departed, verse 19, when we departed from Horeb, we went through all that great and terrible wilderness which you saw by the way of the mountain of the Amorites as the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said unto you, Moses speaking, you are come unto the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God, did you see that again? The Lord our God, doth give unto us, doth give unto us. I'm going to say it one more time. Doth give unto us. What part of not giving did you not get? Okay. Next verse. Behold, the Lord thy God hath set the land before thee. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of thy fathers has set unto thee. What's the next word? Fear not, neither be discouraged. Do you know what kept them from going up and possessing that land? Fear. Fear. You know what's keeping you from being everything that God wants you to be? Fear. Because where there's fear, there's no trust. Where there's no trust, there's no peace. Isn't that amazing? It's so simple, but it's so hard at times, isn't it? And you know what happened. Sends 12 spies out, 10 come back and say, oh, you can't believe how big these guys are. That's another thing to fear. It'll make things bigger. When you trust your God is big, problems are small. When you fail to trust your problems are big, your God is small. And you know what they did? It's what they didn't do. They failed to go in. They failed to go in. And you know, the promised land oftentimes is, is misrepresented in us as Christians' lives. We see as crossing over into heaven. No, then the promised land is not heaven. The promised land is literally all of the blessings that literally, in this case, the book of, the, of Ephesians, the first three chapters, talk about the unimaginable, in all-encompassing, over-the-top, unimaginable things that are yours because you're in Christ. And you know what keeps you from them? The very same thing that kept them from the promised land. Fear and trusting in self. If you're trusting in self here today, then you literally are living in fear. And that's not God's plan. God wants you to enjoy everything that he wants you to enjoy. And yes, there is a heaven waiting. And I can't wait to get there. But your reservation is planned. It is guaranteed. It is an absolute going to happen thing. It's not like an airline ticket that can change upon any kind of notice. Canceled flights? No, this, counts, this flight to heaven... It is not cancelable because Jesus Christ died for it. The Holy Spirit guaranteed it. You have an engagement ring from God proving that literally it's going to happen. Now, if that isn't something to rejoice about, I don't know what could be better. And all we've got to do is trust him. Because Now, here, listen to me. This, this is how we want to end this session. The more that you learn to trust God, the easier it is to have these characteristics 
living, starting in your heart, to literally allow unity to take place in the, in the church, and the world would find Jesus. It starts in the heart. Trust and obey. For there's no other way. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all of the examples that you've set out to us in your word. Your word is so rich, so all-encompassing, because it's speaking of a sovereign, creating God. God, this week, we have much to think about. We have much to contemplate. But may we fear less and trust more. For when we do that, that bond of peace, the belt of peace literally becomes part of who we are. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to see even more clearly what you have in a plan for us. You are so mighty, so magnificent. God, we bow before you in humility, seeing what a wonderful Savior you are. Thank you for showing us your love, not just talking about it. I pray for this, uh, this woman that we've spoken of today that is absorbed because of the hurt and absorbed in self because of the hurt that she's experienced. Father, may those walls be broken down. I'm just thinking right now, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, literally Jesus Christ is declared as He is our peace. He broke down those walls. He paid the price. He became the peace of that distant enmity, that fight between good and evil, Father, that was ours when sin came in and Jesus Christ bought that peace. He paid for it. Fathers, we contemplate ourselves, those of us that have trusted Christ as Savior, that literally we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It should take on a different meaning in our lives. Raise us up. Encourage us. Give us what we need. We know we can depend on you to take us and use us in life's journey. Once again, thank you so much for the power of Jesus Christ's blood, the resurrection that proved that it was done and done once and for all. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.